0: Welcome back to Eye to Eye, the Digital Renaissance Podcast. I'm your host, Percy Hornack. This week on the podcast, I interviewed Gail Prensky, the lead artist on one of our first multi-week projects, Video Stories from South Sudan. This also marks the first global collaboration of the Digital Renaissance Project, and I am so excited to give you a peek inside the process. As always, you can enroll in the project at digitalrenaissanceproject.com. There are so many opportunities, both to learn new skills and create art with others, as well as to make new friends and bond with everybody else enrolled in the project. Without any further ado, let's get into the interview. So,
1: hi Gail.
2: Hi, Percy.
1: To get us started, I would love if you could introduce yourself in however many details you would like to share.
2: Okay, so my name is Gail Prensky and I am based in Washington DC in the United States. I am professionally a multimedia producer. I, as a kid, I was one of those kids that always loved doing research and storytelling. And it's amazing that I ended up in a profession where I could continue doing it. And I started out in book publishing and then went into exhibitions and eventually got into video and multimedia at a very early time. And This project that I'm working on is part of something that I started many years ago. It's called the Yudasho Kulturban Project, which is about response to oppression through music and art. We explore issues that started with Jewish artists in Nazi Germany who were fired from their jobs because they were Jews and they had worked in opera and in dance and in um, drama, cabarets. And so what they decided to do, which amazed me, was to go to the Nazis and say, you won't let us <laughs> perform in German symphonies, operas, cabarets anymore. So let us have our own cultural association where we can perform our own operas, dramas, symphonies, and cabarets for Jews only. And the Nazis approved it. So from 1933 to 1941, the Kulturban existed until the final solution in 41. And those who had not already left were sent to the camps. I wanted to explore then the connection between their issues and how they use their music to enforce their identity, not only as Jews, but as performers, as artists and to show how the power of music and art in responding to the oppression that they faced with current day artists around the world who also experience oppression and how they use their music and art in response so what i did was worked with a great team in the dc area and brought together performing artists, actors, and a musician. And we started to explore in a work, three-day workshop these very issues and connections. And from there, the project started collecting interviews. We, we would film interviews and collect stories and write stories that are on our website called Shared Stories. So we have a collection of over 45 stories of artists from 25 countries around the world. And what we're doing with all of this are a number of initiatives. We're doing performing arts uh, projects, we're doing film projects, and we have education programs. And that's where Andy Summer Playhouse comes in. So, four or five years ago, I was introduced to Jared Mazzacci. And as it's probably true for so many people, immediately felt a connection with him and was just in awe of all of his many talents and storytelling abilities. And we decided to collaborate on something that we're still working on separately. It's just on hold, but it, it does explore these issues, connecting artists from the Kulturbund and today. And it and at the same time, we started working on another project that is con- connected to Andy Summer Playhouse, and that's called Hannah's Dance. And that's about the last dance of the Kulturbund in 1939. So we were up at Andy's Summer Playhouse last summer, in the Greenhouse Initiative, and uh, working with 14 kids in a week and creating this amazing dance story. And then we were supposed to go back to Andy's this summer to do a stage performance, uh, working with the kids to expand Hannah's dance. And then COVID-19 happened. Mm-hmm. It sure so, did. It sure did. So, like everybody, it stymied our efforts. And good old Jared, being the visionary that he is, came up with the Digital Renaissance Project. And we have a strong interest in digital communication anyway and storytelling because so many of our artists are far away around the world and we couldn't access them physically. So, we've been using online technology to do interviews with them years ago. So what Jared had in mind, and what we are very happy to embrace is how to combine art and technology. So one morning, I woke up after probably a week or two of lockdown from the pandemic. And I thought COVID-19 is a global oppressor. It fits perfectly into the Kulturban project's vision and mission, which is to explore how artists and musicians are responding to oppression. COVID-19 is the oppressor. Wouldn't it be interesting if we found out and explored how artists around the world are responding to COVID-19? So we started a Facebook group COVID-19, The Oppressor, and asked people to join and share what they found on social media, music, visual art, performing arts, written material. And we've started collecting that. And we have, I think over, I think we've reached 500 uh, distinct examples from around the world that we are curating. We've got a database started and we want to work with Someone to put a digital exhibit together, and we've got a colleague in Zimbabwe who is interested in working with us. Then, a friend who is one of the teammates on COVID 19 The Oppressor, he's a musician as well as he works in studio productions, um, providing lights to movies, movie sets, television sets, studios. And he said, I'm going crazy, I need to work on something. So, he decided to take Queen's song We Are the Champions and invite musicians all over the world to contribute instrumental and vocal that he laid tracks together and he created a music video to give tribute to all of our social heroes during the pandemic. And it's it's an amazing music video. And then had another idea through our other teammate who's in Sweden, Leif Person. And he said, you know, years ago, I had this idea, something called kids' video stories, but I never did anything with it. And I think now's the time. Wouldn't it be interesting if we paired two groups of kids from different parts of the world and asked them to create a story where they could perform just short, three to five minutes, their story and shoot it on video, record it on video and then take the dialogue out of the story that they created and swap it with the other group from a different part of the world, different community, and see how they interpret the dialogue. And wouldn't it be interesting to see how COVID-19 brings them together? They find a commonality, a connection, but they also learn and have a cultural exchange So I thought this is really cool. So talk to Jared and others at Andy Summer Playhouse and they liked it. And then we have another partnership, which is in Juba, South Sudan, for an initiative called Bullets to Books. And I said, hey guys, what do you think? Can you find a group of kids who would be willing to partner with Andy Summer Playhouse and the Digital Renaissance Project? And this all happened within a week. So our partners there, Dee and philip were able to build a relationship with kids in an orphanage in juba and so father david at the orphanage approved the the project and last week we started and this week we're finishing (laughs) and it's pretty amazing yeah yeah that's incredible
1: what has, the, what has the process been like working with these two groups of kids, given that, you know, we're all sort of new to, well, you aren't new to making art this way, but a lot of, I think, folks are new to making art this way. And it's the Digital Renaissance Project's first kind of big project. And so I know that on our end, we're still figuring a lot of stuff out. So I'm just curious about what what it's been like to put everything together.
2: So it's challenging for sure because we've got technology issues that we're trying to figure out to give you an example tori who's the adult lead artist working with the kids at Andy's summer playhouse with the young artists when we met for the first time last week she said well how are we gonna do this i mean all the kids are in separate places they're not together and if they're supposed to perform how do you do that on zoom and i said there's the challenge so that is the limitation that you need to solve and so the first since this was the first experience the decision was maybe create vignettes so each of the young artists create their own story and then either they find a way to perform it separately or as a pair with um, together on Zoom, and they create visual material to accompany what their dialogue is. So mm-hmm. that's where we've left it. But I have no idea what's going to happen mm-hmm. this week. And then in Juba, there's a different issue. The kids are all in an orphanage, and they have been physically in place. They haven't been outside of the orphanage, so they are not at risk in in being um, among other people and perhaps getting contact um, with any virus but but technology is a super big issue in south sudan and in many places in africa so they couldn't get on zoom to they didn't have to get on zoom to perform separately the way the kids and andy's did but how to get the film to us is the big challenge so mm-hmm. Philip is a cinematographer and he's been going there and filming the performances, but we are struggling to get the footage from them. Uploading is impossible. So he's gone to the U S embassy today who is going to try through their internet to upload all the footage. Mm -hmm. So those are two examples of how we need to solve these issues, just technology wise, where, And we're not going back. We're never going to go back. We have to move forward and find creative ways because who knows how long this is going to take. So yeah, those are two examples. I'm eager this week to see how some of those struggles from last week are solved because then what happens is there are going to be four videos that are created from these two groups and we're going to view them on Thursday and they're going to be very different you're gonna see Zoom with four or five kids performing, and then you're gonna see about eight or 10 kids in one room performing.
1: Wow, you know, but what an exciting opportunity as well to be able to to be kind of on on the edge, on the cutting edge of figuring
2: out these kinds of things and making art happen. I think so, and I also think how exciting it is for the kids to be able to tell us how they are affected by COVID-19. I asked them when we met last week for the first time, I said, why do you think this is a good project? Why do you think it's important for us to hear from you? And, she, and, and one of the young artists explained, you know, we hear stories in the news about what's happening with everybody else, but no one's asking the kids yeah and from what i saw last week they have a lot to talk about and they have a huge voice in all of this from staying home from not seeing their friends from being maybe around their parents more or less happily or not happily but they're dealing with a lot of change too and a lot of uncertainty and hopefully This is filling their time in a really good, constructive way.
1: What would you say that you've taken away from talking with the kids about their experiences and perspectives throughout this process, both the Andes kids and the kids in Juba?
2: Well, I think it was Sandra in Juba Mm -hmm. said, and, and I just wanted to cry, she said, you know, before COVID, we felt cut off from the world because we don't have technology. We don't have smartphones. It's hard to get on the internet. And now with COVID we're even inside the orphanage, we can't go out. So we can't see our other friends. This project is opening us up to the world. Oh, Right. I know I still get a little get a, shaken up about it. And then, couple of the young artists at Andy said well we have some used phones some used smartphones why don't we take up a collection and send our used devices to them in Juba if that'll help open up their world more Mm -hmm. and that was just day one so those are two examples I think of how the kids are affected by what we're doing and I'm interested to see if after this experience in the coming week if they will feel more connected and they'll want to continue Mm -hmm. doing more together and with others. My hope is that we will actually be able to continue this pilot with the kids at Andes and with the kids at Juba now that they're getting a little bit more familiar with the project, with the challenges that we can take it to the next level Mm -hmm. and experiment more. Because this is raw, this is at the beginning, and then we'll have a chance to show other kids, other groups, how this works. And then we'll continue the cycle and grow the program out. Yeah,
1: I'm curious, what was it like, especially in that initial meeting, when the two distinct groups of kids who all, I think, within each group know each other to a certain extent, what was it like kind of putting these two groups together? And how did you find that they were building kind of that trust and relationship with each other?
2: The introductory session where both groups got together on Zoom, it took a while to warm warm up, Mm -hmm. which is typical. There were a couple of kids who were more outspoken than others, which is why I think it's going to be really interesting when we meet up again on Thursday mm-hmm. to see if there's more excitement and sharing about the experience. You know, it's like everything. When you start a group, when you bring two distinct groups together in one room, they kind of stay together. Mm-hmm. But I'm interested to see if there's more of an integration because they've shared each other's dialogues Mm -hmm. and seen each other's performances. So I don't know that that answers your question, but that's sort of what I observed from the first meeting.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I just think it's interesting in light of we're all, I think, in a place of really wanting a connection, however we can get one. But at the same time, it is always a slow process getting to know, you know, a group of people who whose life experience has been really different from yours. Yeah. Yeah. That's always, I think, a tricky but worthwhile
2: endeavor
1: to kind of bring.
2: I agree with that. And that's where I feel like if after these stories are shared and performed, if there's a really strong feeling of commonality, I mean, these are such distinctly different cultural groups. Mm-hmm. <laughs> could, I, it's really fascinating. Um, the one thing that's good is both speak the same language. Yeah. So that's really helpful. I don't know what how we're going to do it with groups that don't speak the same language. Except we'll have to transcribe, I suppose, and go from there. Mm-hmm. And. I was on the phone this morning with Leif who came up with this idea and he has already some new ideas moving forward for the next time we do this. He's going to make some changes. And I'm really interested because Jared has done some a lot of upfront work before we started this and how to use Zoom in performance, how to create some effects. And so I'm interested to see how he's going to take, perhaps he'll take, some of the kids' artwork and maybe create some avatars out of them or some background sets for them, or I don't know what's going to happen this week. But whatever happens, it's going to be positive. Even if not everything works quite yet, how exciting for us that we're at the beginning of discovery of how you take kids or other artists out of the physical environment that they've always worked in and be willing to transition and transcend time and space. And and be willing to get a little messy with it and not know where it's gonna go. I mean, isn't that sort of every artist's palette anyway?
1: Yeah, definitely. And one of the things that I love about Andy's and its mission is that it's so much more about the process of bringing people together to make work together, as opposed to creating the most polished, perfect thing. Like yeah. that's always been really valuable to me. Shifting gears a little bit, like kind of zooming out, the time that we're living in right now is, is a time where we are all collectively fighting a pandemic and at least in America, we also are fighting systemic racism, and we're fighting a culture of police brutality, and we're really reckoning with a lot of deep-rooted issues in our in our country right now. And I, given the, the mission of, of your organization and the mission of the work that you do, I wanted your perspective on why art is important during this time, because I think it can be easy to say, you know, why are you spending time on art when you could be spending time on activism, or you could be spending time on helping in your community so i'm curious about your perspective
2: on that it's a great question we walk a very fine line not to be political because what we want to do is tell stories about how people are affected by limitations by oppression by identity we started off with those questions and what it's like for people have to make a hard choice of whether to stay or leave where they were born, where they grew up. You know, what's going on with the refugees? I can't even imagine what it's like. What is it like when you're not accepted because of the color of your skin, because of your age, because of your economic values or or, um, conditions, um, etc.? And, and I have to say as an American, I have stayed away from the oppression issues that we have been always experiencing, but not facing. And until a few weeks ago, I decided, you know what? I think the cracks open now and we need to start telling the stories of the oppression that is so deeply rooted. This morning, I was listening to Steve Colbert and uh, John Stewart have a discussion about our very deep systemic issues, how it started from the very beginning of the founding of our country. Mm -hmm. And until we have truth and reconciliation, we will continue. So activists come in very many, a lot of different forms, and artists are activists too. They may be political in what they create, or maybe they can help people heal or they can make people see. I think artists are amazing because they mirror what's going on in humanity. And they're brave. They're so brave because sometimes they see the truth before others can see it themselves. And so what's happened in the pandemic Because people have been so locked down and isolated, I think it's been a lot, for a lot of people, a time of reflection. And perhaps the issues that have been deeply systemic in in our country are hard to avoid. I mean, the pandemic has shown the unevenness in our society. Why are certain groups getting sicker than others? Why are care Why is care more available to some and not others? Not just in America, it's happening all over the world. And the artists have sung about it. They've drawn pictures about it. They've painted murals about it. They've written poems about it, songs about it. So it's hard not to see what's going on. And it's a time that people are using their talents in, in amazing important ways. But but I think it is art helps to heal, it helps to express, it helps to face hard things. And I think that's what's going on now. And that's why I think it's so good and a part of our bigger project. I
1: have a brief story, if you don't mind me sharing, that kind of speaks to this. I a few years ago I was working on a play with a playwright named Mary Catherine Nagel called Sovereignty that was about um, the Violence Against Women Act, which the U.S. government has, has stripped an enormous amount of, of agency and sovereignty away from indigenous people in the country. But the Violence Against Women Act includes a, uh, a section that essentially grants tribes the ability to prosecute non-members who commit sexual assault on their land. And it is the only crime that tribes can prosecute against non-members, which is a huge huge problem. So this is a play about about that issue. And the playwright, who is also a really incredible lawyer, um, that is like most of what she does is is law, and we were doing, we were in previews for the show, and she was like, yeah, I'm finally able to talk to this uh, specific reporter who does Supreme Court reporting, who has never been interested in talking to me when I had submitted briefs before, but now that I'm doing this play, she wants to have a conversation, which was incredible that Art was able to open that door. So I think you're right. I think it does make things, you know, it it makes things more human. You know, it's easy to see statistics and not feel anything. Uh, but when you're hearing a story about something that happened to someone, I think it encourages empathy and it lets us connect in a way that is really special.
2: I'm so glad that you said that because empathy is, is the root of this touching people's hearts is the root of this the humanity is the root of it and starting with the kids is very important you know we were talking last week with a friend of ours who's a reverend and he said kids are born into the world with love they they learn things later so if we can teach them empathy or encourage empathy at an early age it's very important You also mentioned something that I was really impressed by when I was in Sweden a few years ago. That's how we met Leif. And they have a population of Roma people that have been there since the 16th century. And they've been excluded. They've been terribly, um, well, I'll say they have not integrated well. The society did not treat them as equals. So finally, Sweden decided that they needed to start dealing with this. Fifteen years ago, they started a white paper. And then several years ago, they hired a theater producer artist to create Voices of the Roma. And so she took stories or dialogue, I suppose, of, of different people from the Roma culture and then had them, I think, initially speak on stage to a number of people from government to communities and then have a dialogue after the performance. And I think then she may have switched characters to have people from government or from communities read those dialogues that they heard. And I think it created a sense of empathy. And that's how I think it started, continued their process of truth and reconciliation. And I'm hopeful that perhaps we can do that here. It would be really great.
1: Yeah, I think so too. I actually think that's a really lovely note for us to end on. Thank you so much for for speaking to me about this. I'm really looking forward to to Thursday.
2: Thank you for this. I'm I'm really appreciative and I can't wait to meet you in person. Yeah. You
1: one, are, day. Uh, one day. One <laughs>
2: day. Thank you so
0: much for listening to Eye to Eye, the Digital Renaissance podcast. Theme music is by Dylan Gladhorn, artwork by Raven Bartlett, hosting and audio editing by me. See you next week for another dose of Andy's Magic. Mm.